Welcome to the Birds Up Podcast, brought to you by the UTSA Alumni Association. We are your source on what's going on at the university, the Alumni Association, and all things Runner Nation. Because now and forever, we are Roadrunners. Roadrunners. Welcome, Runner Nation, to another episode of the Birds Up Podcast, brought to you by the UTSA Alumni Association, a podcast by runners for runners. And I'm your host, Drew Addison. And with me, as always, is my beautiful wife, Yvonne. How are you today? Doing great. Thank you. And football season is in full swing. Oh, we my have gosh. Two games under our belt already. Yes. Can you believe it? There was an article the other day that someone said our non conference finale is coming up. I was like, it's week three. Yeah. Like, don't put finale on anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little, got a little ways to go. Yeah. So, you and I had a chance to watch the first game, the U of H game, at the marina in Cabo San Lucas. We struggled to find a place that had the game yes, showing. So yes. the place that we were staying, unfortunately, the one spot at the whole property uh, didn't open until two hours after the game started. So yeah, we decided to run with a group of folks that we met down at the at pool the that pool. day. Yeah. And uh, run down to the marina. We stumbled across a a random spot downtown yeah. uh, that had the game on. And then we made the move to another sp- space to meet with the rest of the group. But, you know, unfortunate loss against U of H, but uh, rallied back for the Texas State game, which was incredible. We'll cover a little bit more of that. But prior to the Texas State game, the Alvarez College of Business Alumni Council, we had our Business of Sport Lunch and Learn. Uh, this was on September 8th. It was a sold out event. And it was all really proud UTSA alumni that were in attendance. And we had Dr. Lisa Campos speak. We had Dean Halbeslaven from the Alvarez College of Business come in. And it was really incredible. It also included a personal tour of the race facility. But thank you all to thank you to all who attended. Guests also got to take a picture with the conference championship trophy. Oh, that's right. That was really neat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, They they brought that in. Uh, But again, thank you for everyone who came uh, and is supporting the uh, Alumni Council for the Alvarez College of Business. Um, Keep an eye out for future events and sign up so you can get a chance to be there before it sells out. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like every alumni council is recruiting alumni within their own colleges to get involved. This is a really great way to do so and really kind of stay in the know of what's happening within the your individual colleges. But uh, Yvonne, what else is happening at the University Alumni Association? So we have a networking and interviewing strategies event coming up here on September 19th from 6 to 7 p.m. It'll be at the Katz Alumni Center. It'll start with a quick presentation followed by a Q&A session where you can meet one-on-one with university career center counselors um, and you can drop in, basically you can drop in any time between six and seven. And so we will have a link for the registration online, or you can sign up at utsa.edu backslash alumni. Absolutely. Well, it, in this in today's episode, I'm really excited to bring back some more alumni that are out in the community doing amazing things. And today we get, we get to bring in three alumni, I guess one current student, uh, but we can call our alumni still. But they're here to talk about the Child Advocate San Antonio, also known as CASA, which provide core Court-appointed special advocates to support children involved in the child welfare system. Volunteers advocate for the best interest of the child and make informed recommendations for the child's physical and emotional well-being for the judge. And their mission is to recruit, develop, and lead highly impactful court-appointed volunteer advocates to provide consistency and support for children and youth who have experienced abuse and neglect. There's been over 18,000 hours that have been dedicated 
by CASA volunteers in Bear County alone and over 163,000 miles driven for child welfare. Completely incredible, an amazing conversation. And today we welcome Emilio Ariola, uh, which is class of 2011 and is the strategic relations manager for CASA. Uh, we also uh, welcome Ashley Stutes, who's also a class of 2011, who is the permanent managing conservator advocate supervisor. And lastly, we welcome current student Samantha Barton, who is a college docket supervisor. So a lot of really great things that are happening. It's really impactful to us when we have the conversation on, on everything that they provide uh, these children that are in need. But stick around for after the interview as we'll go over a few things that are happening at the University Alumni Association. And we'll be back in a bit. Birds up. Birds up. So again, one of the main things why we started this podcast and one of the most biggest things I love to do is promoting nonprofits within the area and alumni that are also heavily involved with those nonprofits and trying to find a way for us to connect the Alumni Association Network into what it is that's happening, especially as it pertains to this group today. And today we welcome Emilia Ariola, Strategic Operations Manager and Class of 2011 Political Science, Ashley Stutes, the Permanent Managing Conservator Advocate Supervisor, that was a bit of a mouthful. Class of 2011 Sociology and Political Science and Samantha Barton, College Docket Supervisor and current Master's in Public Administration student. And uh, I always also love to have a current student on board. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) So, Amelia, let's go ahead and get started with you. Tell us about why you chose UTSA and what was your experience like at school? Yeah, you know, I I started out in 2005. I'm originally from Belton, Texas, and um, I was one of those kids that ended up doing it kind of late, didn't really know where I was going to go. And at the last minute, I was just like, you know what, let's go do a tour. I think I did a tour in July, like right before school started. And I got in, and I was like, I really like the campus. And my dad was like, well, you got to make a decision. So let's go ahead. So he signed a lease on an apartment and I was down here. Had a great experience, you know, other than getting kicked out twice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, uh, you know, unfortunately, like just, you know, like a lot of a lot of kids, you know, you're just not you're not ready right when you get in there. And so that first year, just it was not a good year for me. And then I ended up on academic uh, probation, academic dismissal, and then came back two years later and then got kicked out again. And I'll never forget. It was um, as a moment that changed my life. I was at the downtown campus and I was sitting outside in the enrollment services waiting to talk to somebody to plead my case. Like, just give me a third chance. I swear I'm going to do better this time. And uh, Dr. Romo happened to be walking by. And Dr. Romo saw me and he was like, so what's what's wrong with you? What's wrong? And I was like, well, you know, I'm here to kind of plead my case because I'm, uh, I'm on my third strike now. And he just looked at me and he goes, you going to do better? I was like, yeah, it's like, I, I, I know I can do better. I know I can do better. And then um, and he walked me into the enrollment services and he said, go ahead and enroll. Him. We'll be fine. And after that, like I got my act together and, you know, finished up my degree in political science. So on the six year plan. So <laughs> and so finished it up and it, it, it helped strengthen me like to do my role now in and um, working with. A lot of the, uh, the the backdoor stuff of working with city government, uh, state governments, uh, the feds, and really advocating for our kids to make sure that that their needs are met and that they're seen. And that's the biggest thing is that a lot of people, they gloss over the issues that we, we focus on. And I want to make sure that they are to the forefront. And so UTSA prepared me. The classes strengthened me. And, you know, and, you know, giving that shot and that having and that's it translates over. It's like I was given an opportunity. Somebody believed in me. Somebody gave me that shot. And that's what we do every day at CASA. 
Or a little bit of divine intervention with Dr. Romo walking by. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I was like, you saw that mustache walk in, you knew something good was going to (laughs) happen. But what a story of perseverance. I mean, you you didn't, after the first time, I'm sure, felt knocked down, came back after the second time, kind of the same. But, you know, that's really awesome. Congratulations. Thanks. Well, and I also wanted to make note, too, in 2013, Bank of America's Neighborhood Builders Award as one of the top emerging nonprofit leaders in the nation. Yeah. Which is incredible. Tell us about that. So that was it was I was working with an organization uh, called the Texas Diaper Bank at the time. And we put in this application. I just remember was really didn't know what we were doing and put it in. We got the award. And again, the divine intervention type of piece, you know, got to go to training things that I would have never imagined. Got to ride on my first plane ever. It was Mm. it was really crazy for a kid from a small town in central Texas. And then (laughs) I'll, I'll never forget again that we're just happenstance changed lives. Kenny Wilson is a good friend of mine, is a mentor of mine. He had asked for us to come speak and he asked for our CEO to come and he ended up not being able to make it. They called me at the last minute and I went over there and there I am in a room full of like vice presidents and all kinds of people that I'd never seen before. Intimidated kid at 23, not knowing what to do. and made the whole room cry. So, you know, talking about our our stories and about the work that we do and, you know, and that's that piece of just like invest, again, the investment, you invest into people that you think are going to go far, investment into a kid from a small town, uh, from a single mom, from, you know, a dad who's a Vietnam vet. And you put those, you get that and you say like, hey, I believe that you can do this. And you just end up succeeding all expectations. So I've been very, very lucky in my life. Yeah. And to tie it back, UTSA gave me a lot of those tools to to get to that piece. Well, I mean, I'm always fascinated, too, on the political science decision to go down that route and kind of what that translates into, because when you read it on the surface, it seems like politics. right? Yeah. Uh, but the importance of understanding governance um, and in your experience, also working uh, in grant writing and things like that, all that is extremely important. What was it that brought you into CASA? So it was actually funny. I was in 2020. I had taken a break. I thought I was going to be done with nonprofits at that point. I'd been in the world for so long. And um, Blair Ordman, who's our VP of Mission Advancement, happened to see a post that I made on LinkedIn where I was like, you know, I think I'm ready to come back to work. Seven months of sitting at home is a little, (laughs) a little interesting. (laughs) And so, of course, like I was like, I took the break. I was like, I'm going to take it in January when I traveled and COVID happened. And I was like, well, I'm just sitting at home, not doing anything. And um, at that point, she was like, well, do you want to come work at CASA? And it just was so funny because there were pieces that I remember when I was a kid growing up, my, my grandmother used to walk, we used to walk to the uh, laundromat and every day we'd walk to the laundromat and we would see there's a Casa, the Casa of Bell in Coryell County. And we would see the sign. And my grandmother would always say, if you ever need help, you go into that building, you go into that building, they're going to help you. And every day I heard that from the time I was, you know, a baby until I was like five years old and I was in school. And so I always just remember the logo. I remember all those pieces. And when Blair asked me if I wanted to come, my grandmother at the time was starting to get sick. And it was just this conversation. I'd always wanted to like, I always, she was my rock of like how I needed to get opinions. Mm-hmm. So I called her and at the time she was like 97. And I was like, so what's, what's your thought? What do you think? And she goes, it's exactly where you need to be. And I immediately called Blair back and I'm like, you know what, let's, I'd love to do an interview and let's see how this goes. And so came in and 
you know, it's just been, it's a rock. It was been a rocket since then. And mm-hmm. we've been very fortunate to, to uh, grow. And now if our, our leadership with Angela White, you know, it's, it's really taken off and you just see all the good that we're doing, especially uh, with our older kids and with our younger kids. And then just making sure our advocates are taken care of, mm-hmm. um, making sure that they're not alone. That's the biggest thing is trying to get more of them, like trying to get more people to be advocates every single day so they can work with our, our wonderful staff that just continue to impress me yeah. every day. And I, I will definitely go into more and what, you know, what it takes to be an advocate and yeah. what that means um, to where, you know, if there's anybody that's listening, that would be interested. Obviously we'll have all the contact information, in the show notes. And, you know, when you were talking about that kind of meteoric rise, uh, you know, 2020 came in as a grants manager, 22, the strategic relations manager, and then ultimately becoming the strategic operations manager. You know, that's a lot of movement uh, within a short amount of time. And you're, I guess the experience that you get from not just from a nonprofit perspective with the mission that you guys have at Casa, but, you know, having to really kind of turn on that managerial switch within it, too. Yeah, it's definitely, um, you know, I I laugh with Blair because I was like, I came in a singular focused and then like you end up in the management position. You know, we all of our team from just the manager positions to the supervisor positions, we manage so many people from just our own staff to our advocates. Mm-hmm. And it's having that switch of like how you have to be good leaders. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's the, the biggest thing that, that we're prepared for, not only with in our organization, but from the experiences that we bring, whether that was from from school, from at UTSA, whether it's from our own personal experiences. But we're able to bring that in and take that switch and make sure that we are good stewards of not only our funds, but we're good stewards of our people every day. Right. Well, I mean, it's, it is really incredible and, and it does take a special personality to step in, into that role. And you mentioned um, outstanding employees, and in which case uh, we have a couple right here that we get to yeah. talk to also. Ashley, let's go ahead and start with you. Permanent Managing Conservator Advocate Supervisor, or, P- or PMC. And your major was in sociology and political science. You know, obviously we got a little bit of a taste of why political science uh, and how that kind of ties in sociology. I know that Dean Costman would be really excited that you, all mm-hmm. three of you guys are in here. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, but tell us about your time, uh, like why UTSA and your time at school? Um, yeah, so I chose UTSA, honestly, because it was really close to home. At that time, my grandfather was getting really sick. I had gotten into Texas Tech and I thought, OK, I'm going to go there. I'm going to go and be six hours away from my parents who are extremely strict and I'm going to be free and, and have fun. And then, yeah, he got sick and I was like, you know what? I think UTSA is the best case scenario for me, uh, not only to stay with family, but be in a town where I'm familiar. My parents would call me a little bit of the rebel child. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was a reason that they had a, <laughs> they were a little strict with me. Kind of took the same path that Emilio did with the <laughs> academic probation. I'm still paying back for that. Thanks, Dad. Um, and <laughs> I, think, I think all of us kind of feel that story. <laughs> you know, I went a little too crazy, even though I was close, because my one rule was, OK, I'm close to home. I'm from Bandera, cowboy capital of the world. Yeah. I have to put that plug in. Right, right. And my one rule was that I still got to live in the dorms and experience college. Mm -hmm. And so from there, I started out with political science. I'd always thought from a young age that I wanted to do something that would matter to people. 
Um, my dad is a firefighter, a retired chief slash city manager now, worked himself through the ranks all the way up mm. with just an associate's degree. Wow. He really fought for my mom to get a degree, my sister to get a degree and for me. And so I knew I wanted to do something that would be impactful to the community. But I knew I didn't want to run into burning buildings. That didn't seem like a really good time for me. Um, and so uh, that's why I started off with political science. And then when I went to UTSA, I really loved the sociology program. Mm. I fell in love with it. So I ended up doing the five year, <laughs> the five year. So I could end up doing uh, two two degree plans. From that is where I did my internship, and that is how I fell into nonprofit. I actually interned at Meadowlands and Bernie with RMYA, Roy Moss Youth Alternatives, who is a major, major advocate for our kids here in Bear County as mm. well. And it was there that I actually met my first CASA advocates and got to see kind of that role that they can take on. When you work there, you can have a kid there and then they could be gone the next day and you don't really have a say on what happens to that child. But within CASA, you have that say. You get to come in front of the judge and just make matter-of-fact recommendations for those kids mm-hmm. and what their needs are. And so that's kind of how I fell into the nonprofit world from, and it was all because of UTSA and that internship program. I don't think, maybe it would have taken me a little bit longer to get there, or maybe I would have never gotten there without having those programs at UTSA. Wow, that's incredible. And your husband's a UTSA roadrunner. He is, he is, he is, uh, just started with CPS Energy at the warehouse manager. Okay. So, he kind of bounced a little bit around to try to find a good logistics role for himself. And so he's landed in a good company. Yeah. Told him he can't leave. Right. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Well, keep it in the family, too. I mean, we definitely know what that's like, you know, having both of us involved there. So, you know, with the um, career path that you're on now, and you started at CASA in 2015. I did. Is that yes. right? So 2015 advocate supervisor, 2020 move into special request supervisor, advocate supervisor, and uh, ultimately into your PMC supervisor position. I- explain to us what the PMC is and then what, what is your role within that group? Of course. So a uh, permanent managing conservatorship deals with our kiddos who do not have permanency and they don't have family members or anyone like adoptive homes, something like that, that have stepped up to say, I'm going to take this child in. They're no longer going to be with the state. So it's Essentially, those kids are wards of the state and they are left kind of with only having court hearings every six months in front of a judge. Their caseworkers change frequently, unfortunately. And so what advocates can do is step alongside this child and push for permanency for that child, whatever it may look like. Um, one of the things that Sam and I say often in training with our advocates is that permanency for older youth look really, it can look different. It could be you know, finding that family member with collaborative family engagement mm-hmm. and putting them in that home and saying, okay, this is the best place for you. Or it could be you're 17. Let's talk about what five years from now, what do you want for your family five years from now mm-hmm. and start planning it that way. Unfortunately, the state, the goal is to find them placement. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to find what their goals are five years from now because they're busy. The caseworkers are overloaded. Um, they have too many kids. Um, They work so hard with them, but they don't have that time to focus in on that one child. Mm. And so that's kind of what we can do. We can walk alongside those caseworkers and that child and figure out what that kid needs and wants so that we can hopefully end the, the trauma with them and that they can have successful outcomes, not only tomorrow, but five years from now, 10 years from now and 15 years from now. Wow. 
Wow. That's, that's incredible. And I mean, I feel like too, that, you know, there's really could be no shortage of like, you need, you need the volunteers there, right? That's the biggest thing. And the the resources available for the students. And we've kind of gotten a bit of a glimpse on the, the way that the nonprofits work around the city of San Antonio. It's it's really a big network of folks and trying to make things all work together. Mm -hmm. What are some of the other entities that you work with to help support these kids? So with College Docket, we work with uh, UTSA, so Fostering Educational Success. We work with Through Project. RMYA has a great, they have turning point for 18 to 21 year old children that are transitioning out. Boysville also mm-hmm. has one. There's just several of the nonprofits that all walk along our youth as they're aging out to try to support them and make sure with the Through Project, they not only have mentors for those kiddos, but they also have housing they can utilize as well. Right. And then through UTSA or Texas A&M San Antonio, they have what's called SILs or Supervised Independent Living Programs, where the kids, if they're in extended care, can live on campus just like a regular college student, but the department will pay for their housing while they're going to college. So it adds another facet of help for that kid so that they're not stressed about where their next meal is going to come from, where they're going to live while they're in school, that they can really just focus on their education and what their next steps are. Mm, Well, I've always been really blown away about the um, collaborative nature of the nonprofits within the city of San Antonio and what you guys do to work together to bring all the resources together. Because at the end of the day, not everybody can have all of it, right? It takes a a collaborative effort to make sure all that stuff works. But uh, I'm glad that you brought up the college docket side of things. Uh, Samantha, tell us about your experience so far at UTSA with you being a current student. Sure. So right now I'm in the Master's of Public Administration program. Um, I had a few colleagues that have went through that program previously um, at CASA, and I decided, you know, why not me? I'll try it as well, because I think that I really wanted to learn how I can make a difference at the policy level, um, at the government level, all of that. And I just really thought that UTSA would be a good option for me because a lot of my children, too, are going there from CASA. So it'd be kind of like firsthand experience from me that I can share with them um, and also as sort of like a, a boost for them saying, yeah, I understand midterms are tough. I'm going through it, too. So it's just been really helpful to me to go through this program and not only learn the public administration side of things and how I can make a change on that level, but also to help kind of be a mentor to these children that we're working with. Yeah. And I mean, it really kind of make connecting those dots too, right? I feel like, like, like you had mentioned that these kids may not know where their next meal is coming from, where they're going to be staying. What is it like? But, you know, be able to have that guidance and push it to where it's not just about permanent placement. Now it's about bettering your life in the long run. What was your experience in coming into CASA, um, your exposure to it initially, and then stepping into the first position? Sure. So um, with Child Advocate San Antonio, I began my employment there in 2016. Um, prior to that, I was working with Family Violence Prevention Services uh, with their WINGS, um, which is victims of uh, domestic violence, working with the children in those families. Um, and I got exposed to some of our families that did have CPS history or were involved with CPS at that time. So I knew I really wanted to work with our um, areas of opportunity that we could help these families with, and especially our children. So I went online and I was searching, you know, what are different nonprofits that I could look for that, you know, worked with children and also that had kind of that background that I could use my uh, BA in psychology for. 
CASA popped up and the more I learned about it through my interview process, the more I felt that this is kind of my calling. I really enjoy, you know, like what Ashley was saying, I really enjoy working with these advocates and directly with these youth and children in letting them understand, you know, this isn't their story mm-hmm. and it's up to them to create their story and we have opportunities for them to better um, their situation if they want or to be that first person that finishes even high school in their family. Mm-hmm. So I just knew it was really important for me to be a part of this and to make as much change as I could. I'm like, Ashley, I, I just wanted to come into this and make a change. And this is, you know, the best way that I found that I can. Yeah. Well, I, I do want to kind of touch a little bit on being a current student mm-hmm. and then working full time in your in your career. She's crazy. You, you I'm, I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think this is a, it's a good it's a good story to to elaborate on because there's a lot of folks that I know listen to this podcast that are currently going to school maybe if they're master's degree I was one of those where I was working full time going to school full time um, and know the stress and schedule and time management that's one of the biggest things that I got out of it was time management <laughs> what, what is your schedule like and then being able to, like between working and then going to school. Um, it's it's a lot. Um, I try to <laughs> keep. <doesn't> sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I try to keep my career as my main focus. But again, with this master's of public administration program, I'm learning a lot. Um, I'm also going for the nonprofit certificate, so I'm learning a lot about this program and how I can navigate Casa to make that change. So my schedule is pretty crazy. I'm usually taking about two classes a semester. I took two over the summer kind of speed running it, you know, just trying to get it over with as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. But it has been a lot. But at the same time, that's nothing different than, you know, what my kids are going through when they're trying to figure out what they want to do with their lives. A lot of them do want to continue to work while they're going to school because they didn't have a lot of economic opportunities. So again, it's just another way to, you know, push through it myself and learn how to push through it and mentor that and uh, show that to my kids that it can be done. But yeah, it's been really, really great if I ever have any things that pop up with CASA that I can't attend class for very rarely. But I do have the support of not only CASA, but of the MPA program. It's just been really, really awesome to kind of gather, you know, my colleagues together um, and also my classmates who are also in nonprofits as well that I've connected with that can help my kids too. Mm. Um, that's been really interesting. Um, there's a few of them that do work for the city or for the county or local nonprofits in education, and that's right up my alley. So yeah. it's been a very rewarding experience. Well, I mean, it's, it's really fascinating too. And growing the network within uh, the university, I know Yvonne, you kind of had that same experience with the EMBA program mm-hmm. and uh, being able to kind of work all that stuff together to where it's cohort related to where you're, you, you get to come across these folks as you're working full-time also and connect the dots for costs all around. I mean, right. so when you have a student come or a child that comes to you and says, hey, you know, I'm really looking to make this connection and, and continue my education. What is that process from start to enrollment with you? Sure. So um, we usually try to start with these kiddos as early as possible when they're in high school, when they just get to high school, acclimate them to, you know, this is a possibility for you. You have your benefits. We explain um, their tuition waivers to them, their education training vouchers, which is extra stipend for them just to get them excited about, hey, you can do this, but also there's going to be support for you there too. It's not just going to be like, okay, go off and, you know, learn it yourself. Although our kids are very resourceful, they still need support. So we will walk through them with the campus tours. We went to UTSA recently back in August. 
because it's really important, again, to let them see themselves on campus and see kids like them, see that, you know, this is where I could be walking to go to class. And, you know, there's a Chick-fil-A on campus. So I'm really excited about that. (laughs) Um, Just trying to, you know, any option that we can. Um, We also walk with them through the FAFSA, which, again, helps them obtain their benefits. So they have to fill it out correctly. We're gathering transcripts. Um, Myself, I've been to 13 schools throughout my entire K-12 experience. So, you know, it it can look like that for them where they've been to multitude of uh, high schools and we need to track down those transcripts to send to their schools of choice. We also try to keep it really open to them. We do definitely with this program want them to be local so that we can have that knowledge that they're doing okay and they can still see us and um, their campus coaches, which are local to them too. We have, you know, that relationship with them where we can really check in on these children with these people to make sure that they're doing okay. And if they have anything that they're needing, Um, we also work with them on that supervised independent living program, if that's applicable for them. Some of our children, if they decide to exit care and they don't want to do extended care, then we're looking at other options Mm -hmm. for placement for them. So it's, it's a lot. We're really thankful for people like through Project that help with those kids that aren't necessarily um, interested in supervised independent living to provide them housing. The city also, UTSA too, they do a rapid rehousing program, Housing First. That's another program that will work with vouchers um, so that our kids that aren't technically able, they're not in extended care or they've mm-hmm. been adopted before they turned 18, they won't have that option. So we just try to make it, you know, as the best way to get them there. And it's all very tailored to what their needs are. Mm -hmm. Another one is we always try to make sure that they know their resources for mental health, because if they're used to a group home or they're used to staff or a foster parent always being on them to complete different, you know, academic things or work, it's just going to be really difficult for them to just be on their own. It's going to be really difficult for them to understand that, hey, I'm out in the world now. I'm an adult. Things are a lot different than when I was a child. And we just want to make sure that they're okay mentally and physically. Sure. Wow. That is incredible. And there's a lot that goes into that, too, because, I mean, there's some external factors that most of us don't realize is there that these kids have to go through. Yeah, it's a sense of normalcy. And it's the things that we we take for granted all the time. Mm-hmm. I think the three of us, you know, we were fortunate enough that we had the support system, you know, like Ashley mentioned, like her dad and her family that was there. I know Sam the same with you and then mine. You know, we we had people that even though like for me, like I was a first generation college kid, I didn't have somebody that was going to sit there and walk through that stuff with me. And this is the same with a lot of our kids, that they don't have that support. They don't have that person. And and without our staff, without our advocates that make sure that they're not alone, Mm -hmm. it means a lot. I mean, you think about it, like kids come into care with us. We have kids that are day old in our care until like they're until they go through extended care, which is in their 20s. So we, we work with them in all those pieces, and it's making sure that there is that normalcy. Things that we take for granted every day of going on campus, going to the bookstore, <laughs> you know, getting a meal plan. Mm-hmm. Those are pieces that if it wasn't for organizations like us, you know, advocates out there in the community, people that just care about these kids, 
it would be a lot worse. And it's a thankful and a humbling position to be in every day with the work that we do. Wow. So let's talk a little bit about what the child advocates do. And there's the mention of court appointed special advocates. Yeah. So what is that process? I mean, advocates also being the volunteers that are coming in or what does that work like? Yeah. So y'all work with them more. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Um, So essentially what our advocates do is that they, they have some, they go through an interview process, their background, checked um, and they go through 30 hours of initial training and then each of our advocates are assigned to advocate supervisors like Samantha and myself and we help guide them through the system essentially. They will spend time with the families, they spend time with the children, the parents, Mm. the placement, the caseworker, all of the attorneys and then they report back on best interests for those kids in to the judge. And it can be something as simple as needing a pair of glasses, which you would think would be super easy to get. Oftentimes, there are a bunch of holes you have to jump through to get that, a lot of red tape, um, all the way up to whether or not they should be reunified with their parents or not. Or maybe they're in a stable placement with uh, another family member. We always strive to find family first and then kind of work our way out from there. And so these advocates will walk alongside these kids when they're having the most difficult situation of their life. Um, Our advocates provide the kids the ability to just kind of be kids. They'll take them out to go do fun things or to take them to a park, take them to the zoo, just like remind them that they're children through all the difficulties. And then also make sure that they have everything they need while they're in care. Our advocates make huge differences every single day. A lot of times we may agree with the department and sometimes we might not agree with the department. You know, we've had situations where I've had advocates be able to stand up and say we should look at placement at this particular family member. And that family member had been ruled out because they had previous history of like a DWI in the 1980s. And so we kind of say, okay, but they haven't had any of this history now. So like, let's look at this. So Mm -hmm. we kind of just go in and make sometimes just matter of fact, honest recommendations so that the judges can get the whole picture um, and understand what that kid needs or what the options are out there for that child. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's making sure that they're, these kids are no, aren't alone. It's making sure that our advocates aren't alone. And it's really just, it's it's amplifying the, the kids' voices. Mm-hmm. The other day on this past Friday, we were doing a photo shoot for one of the families. And it was a four-year-old and an eight-year-old. And they had been adopted by grandma after being in care for almost their entire lives. And it was just so funny. They were walking and the little girl was holding the grandmother's hand and the advocate's hand. And then she just puts their hands together <laughs> and she just says, we're super glued forever. Wow. And mm-hmm. it was these these moments of just like how these kiddos, it is that normalcy. It is that you would have never known all the stuff that they had been through, mm-hmm. the, the families, the, the trauma that they've experienced. Just seeing them play on that playground and seeing them run and seeing them just be kids Mm -hmm. and knowing that they're in a safe environment that grandma was able to step up and be able to make a home for them. It's huge. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to give shout outs to to the CFE team we've had, they found families like dad who has been out of the lives of the kids since they were born and then find dad in Arizona and get a kid who would age out. To his dad, Mm. because it was the biggest mistake of his dad's life. Mm -hmm. And now they're able to rectify that and be together. Wow. And it's 
getting people that are out there in our community to become advocates, it's going to change their lives. Mm -hmm. It's not only changes our kids' lives, it changes their lives. Getting people that look like our kids, that come from the same neighborhoods as our kids to step up into that process it is the most remarkable thing. And I only work on the government relations side <laughs> and, I get, and I get to see it from, from, you know, I get to see all of the good work that our, our supervisors do and our advocates do every day. And I tell you, it is a life changing experience every, just, yeah. just to be an advocate, just to be a part of this, whether it's their, their time, their talents to help us do like drives or to do things with our kids or their financial contributions. It makes a difference for us to go further. Mm-hmm. So, Sounds to me, too, like I'm trying to look at it as somebody that has zero experience in in working in nonprofit, first of all. But second of all, like really kind of jumping into something that um, really strikes a chord with me with child services and making sure these kids are getting everything they need to be successful. If, If I'm coming out, reaching out to you guys, hey, you know, I'm. I'm interested in volunteering. What do I do? What's that process? And then what can I expect kind of coming into this? Yeah. So the first step, and I'll take the first step and then I guess we can go training and then actual piece. So um, the first step is just either giving us a call or, or going online, our website, casa-satx.org and signing up for an info session. It kind of gives you that baseline of what's going to happen. This is unlike any volunteer experience that you're going to go into. And we want to make sure that that you understand what's happening, that what's coming towards you, that there's training, that you're responsible to stand next to this child. And then they'll go through an interview process after that. You know, it's, and it's to make sure that the volunteer has the capability, the mental strength to deal with it, because some of our cases are horrible. Mm-hmm. And to understand that the, we want to know that you're going to be there, that you are going to be as consistent as possible, because that's the biggest thing is that consistency. And make sure that these kids have had so many people come in and out of their lives. They don't need a constant to come in and out of their lives. They need someone to be there with them constantly. Mm-hmm. And then after that, that's when they go. Once they get through that interview process and we say, OK, we think you're going to be a good candidate for it. That's when they go into training. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the training is about 30 hours. And I know it sounds like really overwhelming, but this is exactly what we're trying to train our advocates on is being that voice for the child getting a kind of a little one-on-one on what is child welfare? What are the gaps that we're seeing? What is trauma? How do we, you know, work with our children with intense trauma? And then again, we're always going back to that constancy. Some of our children, we, I mean, we ask for a year to a year and a half commitment, but some of our kids, and when I do assign children that look like they may be in long-term care, they might be in care for five, six, 10 years. It would be a godsend if we had an advocate that could hang on for that long, but it's been it's happened mm-hmm. um, and it's much needed. Like Amelia was saying, you know, people come in and out of this child's life. Ashley was saying we get different caseworkers um, constantly. Um, sometimes we're the ones informing the next caseworker or the new judge or anything that's coming up new in this child's life of what the past is, but also where we're seeing the future is for this child. Um, and we don't all have to agree, um, but especially with the child, if we're not agreeing with where they see their plan at, we speak with them, you know, on that level of this is what I'm seeing, but I'm still going to speak up for you, court. I'm still going to tell judge exactly what you're telling me because that's our duty is to amplify their voices. Mm-hmm. 
You made a mention earlier about the older kids that are kind of coming through and they're, they've experienced majority of their life in this system and trying to work, navigate it and everything. I mean, I'm sure it doesn't get any easier as they get older, right? I'm sure much more resources are probably needed in order to figure out kind of where they're doing, such as the housing and, and everything else. But even, even as simple as transportation, right? That, that's, that, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Sorry, there. I had an argument for two weeks about that <laughs> earlier. Yeah, it, 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 Provide it, an example. <laughs> <laughs> He's just hitting a chord with me right now. <laughs> that was like two weeks of my life. Um, but it's honestly, it, it is stuff as simple as that. And then trying to convince everybody on the team that that's what's in the best interest of the child. You know, when, when it comes to our older youth or kids who have been in care for a long time, one of the biggest things is a mental health. Um, you know, they go move placement to placement. They don't have the same therapist all the time. They might have a different psychiatrist that might change meds. And so actually that was another new partnership that we have with Jewish Family Services. They actually just received a really large grant through the city of San Antonio. Thank you to the city for that because it's going to provide our children who are older with consistent therapy no matter where they are. So they will be able to have the same therapist that will follow them from 18 to 20 or six from 14 14 to 25 so that they'll be able to actually hopefully hone in on some of the trauma and work through it Mm -hmm. and deal with it because unfortunately if they move from treatment center to treatment center their whole entire team changes Mm -hmm. and so that's another Mm -hmm. huge piece that um, Emilio just (laughs) helps snag um for our older youth that's so desperately needed for them, um, you know, because they need that help, especially when they're transitioning into college and transitioning into the workforce, if that's what they decide to do. Because unfortunately, just because we removed them from trauma doesn't mean they didn't experience more trauma while being in care. Yeah, it's that continuity of care. It's the, the idea of just making sure like for us as general, we if we went to a therapist, it'd be the same therapist. And we, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have to relive our trauma and continue to tell our story. And that's the thing is that, you know, after the fourth or fifth therapist, you're just exhausted. You don't want to say it anymore. Yeah. And the fact that they can, through this partnership with Jewish Family Services, is that we're able to refer off our kids. And, and thanks to to uh, the department for for mm-hmm. supporting us in this matter, which we're very fortunate that that they have been, they're allowing us to to work through, and then of course our, our Bear County judges for being so supportive of it, mm-hmm. um, and allowing this idea that started in San Antonio, that started between Casa JFS and Through Project, to really excel. A lot of the big programs that you've seen inside of child welfare have started here. And it's because of this environment of collaboration, this environment of making sure that that our kids are safe, that has really excelled. And we were laughing the when we were approached for being on this podcast. Uh, I sent out an email to everyone. I was like, how many roadrunners do we actually have in the <laughs> office? And more than half of the staff came wow. back that they were roadrunners. And so it was. It, it's just an interesting piece to tie it all back is that you know, what starts in San Antonio is is changing the states, changing the nation. And we know like a project like Project Launch has the ability as a pilot to do something bigger. 
And what we're hopeful is that as it grows, that other programs around the state, around the nation start to take notice and we can change lives. Can you, can you elaborate a little bit more on Project Launch? Yeah, so that's what Ashley was talking about. It's this new pilot program that just was funded by the city of San Antonio through Jewish Family Services that provides that continuity of care by giving that consistent therapist. So if a kiddo calls in, like they can either go telehealth or they can meet them where they're at, which is different. They only have to tell their story just one time. It's a therapist that knows them, that's able to talk through them. A, a lot of the therapy that they go through while they're in care is about behavioral therapy. It's not really about healing trauma. Mm -hmm. And there are things that come up like as a kid's in care and as they start to trust someone that you may have never even known mm -hmm. uh, that weren't reported to the department, that weren't reported to, you know, anybody else. And we hear it all the time with our, our advocates as they come in and they'll say like something like they just told me this. <laughs> they just told me that. Right. And how they're having to deal with it, now they have that person that they can consistently go to. What makes it better is that it's also, you know, as we're, we're talking through this program and that talking through this pilot is that if something happens and they're like, I really need to talk to a therapist, they'll make the time of figuring out, like, let's go and fund 24 hours. So let's, it gives them that consistency of, like, I can talk to them and I can get in touch with them. And then the telemed piece is great because our kids move. Mm -hmm. They can be, you know, just because they were removed in Bear County and they're a Bear County kid. They could be in Houston. They can be in Tennessee. They can be Arkansas. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, they can go all over all over the, the nation and they'll still have that connection with that therapist no mm -hmm. matter where they go. What makes this project different, though, is that when they turn 18, whether they go into an extended care and they stay with a concert or that piece they will still have that therapist. Or if they decide that they're going to end and they go, we will refer them out to our friends at Through Project and they'll continue to have that therapist. So it is that continuity. It is that consistency that they don't have to worry about. It's the same model as like we have at CASA of that constant presence, that person they learn to trust stays with them that whole time. Mm -hmm. And and that's what, if they want, if those kiddos want therapy once a week, they'll have it. Yeah. If they want it once every six months, they'll have it. If they go, I've done this one time, I'm done. And then about eight months later, they go, you know, that one person, that lady I talked to that I can, uh, I need to talk to her again. Well, let's talk to her again. Mm -hmm. And and it's not having to build another relationship. Well, I do love that Cos also emphasizes family reunification when possible, right? And I, I feel like, too, there could be lost in translation or in the courts mm -hmm. a lot of times to where if you have one dedicated advocate for that scenario and at least a third-party view of the actual situation yeah. and trying to foster that more often. I mean, you, you gave an example earlier. How often do you guys kind of see that come to fruition? I think more, I, we just had our, our new numbers ran. Over half of our, our cases end up in family reunification. Well, like they are placed with family. Um, and that's a, that's an important piece is that we want them to be with family. We want them to have the same structure, whether that's back with mom and dad. We Either it's back with mom and dad or it's with aunt and uncle. Maybe it's with cousin. Maybe it's mm -hmm. with grandma. Um, it's people that they know. And the biggest thing for us, though, is that we advocate – for the best interest of those child. So we, we are going to make sure that they are in the safest place possible. Mm -hmm. And mom and dad, if they're able to get to that point, we want to make sure that they go home. 
uh, we want to make sure that they're safe. Yeah, I mean, we've had kids who were in care for eight years, and mom comes back in the picture, and she's perfectly appropriate now. And so we've worked to get them back with their mother um, because we, we do believe there is power in family, and we know that. There's just so many studies that show that. And also, it you know, these kids, just because they get put into foster care doesn't mean that makes them any less their mom or any less their dad. Right. They still love them regardless of the situation. And that was probably one of my favorite reunifications because that I actually had worked with that child at Meadowlands, then got reintroduced back in with that child at CASA. I had two advocates. One had gotten sick, so I put another advocate on. Um, and to see that kind of all come together and him finally get to go home with his mom the judge was crying. We were all wow. crying because, you know, we had tried adoption. We had tried all those things with him and, and it didn't work because he was just always longing to be back with his his mom. Mm. And so that was best case scenario for him. And he was 16. So he was in care from like 8 to 16. Yeah. And um, we had advocates with him almost the whole time. So I think that's why being an advocate is so important because a lot of times, especially with the older youth, we're the ones that are like outside the box and be like, wait a minute, what about this? Or wait a minute, what about that? Okay, I understand that to the state of Texas, this would be an unauthorized placement, but why? Tell me why it is, give me the reason, give me what the situation is, and is this red tape or is this a legitimate concern? And if it's red tape, then that's something that we can bring to the judge and say, hey, we do have this possibility of placement. Because mm -hmm. CPS um, is bound by policy and sometimes, you know, they even may they say know, that would be a good placement, mm -hmm. but I cannot because of X, Y, and Z. And I think, too, bringing back into the youth voice, asking mm -hmm. them, who did you go to birthday parties with? Who have you known in the past? Because unfortunately, you know, it's not broad, not unfortunately, but it's not broadcasted that this child is in care. So family members might not even know. Oh, um, wow. There might be family members in other states where the parents are too prideful to share what's going on in their lives. And we have a cousin here in town or a cousin out in um, Lubbock or something that they've had a relationship with in the past. It's about asking these youth what they see in their future, what they see as their mm -hmm. plan and who they feel safe with. Because, again, there's a lot of policy involved in CPS. Mm -hmm. And if we have no red flags, if there is no recent criminal history, no recent CPS history, why not give it a shot? Um, it's either that or long-term foster care. Right. And again, being the voice, uh, it's right. you're truly an advocate uh, for these kids in court because that's really going to be the separating difference of, of making sure that stuff can happen. But, you know, if there's alumni that are out there listening, obviously the volunteer side of things, I'm sure monetary ability, all the contact information, again, is in the show notes directly to both of those options. If you're interested, um, what advice would you give to uh, individuals or alumni who want to contribute to CASA's mission but might not be able to volunteer directly? How can they still make an impact? So I, I, there's a bunch of ways. Um, I think the simplest way is promoting the organization, talking to people. Like if you have a friend or you have your, like if for our younger alumni, if you feel that this is not the right time for you, it might be that your, your mom or your dad who are retired that have the time might be able to do this. Um, and a lot of our advocates come in while we do have a heavy marketing presence. They come in because of word of mouth, because they hear that this is, this is a good organization talking about it and making sure that people understand that there are kids out there that are typically not seen and not heard and recognizing signs of child abuse in your own neighborhoods, making sure that these kids are safe. That's always the first step that we look for for people is promoting the organization at that point. 
advocating on a policy level for changes that can help kids, um, making sure that they have housing options that a way, these are things that typically people don't think about Mm -hmm. and they see, and it's like, these are kids that age out of care, have higher propensities of drug use. They have, you know, of homelessness, of suicide. And if we can work on on helping these kids, it's a better outcomes for our entire community by getting them, you know, advocates to come in. And so those are pieces like talking to your legislators, making sure that they don't forget about these kids. Monetarily, it's always about doing drives. We have Christmas drives every year to make sure that not only do that these kids have toys to open at on Christmas, but making sure like our older kids have stuff to open up too. Um, everyone thinks about about our younger kids, and it's great. But our babies need stuff. They need car seats. They need they need blankets. They need beds. Beds are a big thing for us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because sometimes a placement needs a bed, and if they don't, they can't have a bed. Like for they right, won't right. be able to. So, have like, the kid. You, we might have a grandma that is asked overnight to take in five children. You know, who has five hundred or more dollars laying around to get right. a mattresses and bedding and beds for all of those kids. So things like that are huge. Yeah. Having those pieces, making sure that like we have things for our older kids. Sometimes it's even like headphones that we need just because, you know, we all have our AirPods in because mm-hmm. we want to listen to music as we go along. But music is know, very important. It's a very important. Sure. Yeah. Very therapeutic. Having those. Um, and then again, you know, we have our our campus is transforming. We're in the middle of construction right now. Uh, we're making it into a place that these kids can call home. It's their casa. Right now, like, of course, we have the big gig coming up and that will be we're raising money to have a shade over our our playground because 136 on the playground. It's hot. It's hot. We want to make sure that they have it. But we're about to put in a swing set thanks to uh, Commissioner Moody um, in Precinct 3. But it's those are those therapeutic pieces like swinging there um, and just, you know, being able to just relax. So supporting the organization either monetarily through doing drives or just just talking about it, um, yeah. keeping it to the forefront because these kids have been alone and they they can be alone and it's just supporting them all around as a community. And right. I think for all of us is the support that we, we had at UTSA through our careers. It's where is like when you have something or you have people that believe in you and that support you. And you have a community like UTSA that supported us, that allows us to go into this field. It's the same thing for these kids. Support these kids as a community. We can support them. We can lift them up and we can make a bigger difference all around. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll, we will do everything that we can to spread the word and, and do our part, at least on that. And um, making that connection with the alumni base is extremely important. If you have the ability to become an advocate, again, all the contact information is in the show notes, monetary donations, just spreading the word all together is the key here. I appreciate all three of you all coming in and, and speaking with us. I mean, it is, it is such a huge mission you guys have. Um, and it's, it's so important that we get involved. The work that you're doing directly with UTSA, anything that we can do as an alumni base to support you guys and we definitely want to put the word out in order to do that, but we appreciate it. Obviously, if there's anything else that we can do for you guys to please let us know. Yeah. Uh, but thank you for the time today. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having thank us. You guys. Birds up. So there you have a runner nation, the interview with three alumni with the child advocates, San Antonio, uh, again, a court appointed special advocates group that supports children in need in the child welfare system within Bear County. And uh, I got to say, it is really impactful. The work that they're doing. Yeah, this was a, a tremendous interview. I was 
really looking forward to hearing more about CASA. I've been to their organization before, and we've had some volunteer opportunities when I was a member of the Junior League of San Antonio. But, you know, people that I've known who have been advocates have said it is a life-changing experience to help these young people really find a successful future ahead of them. So anybody who's listening out there, if this makes any inkling of interest to you to help change somebody's life, please reach out, take advantage of the links and the information that we, we're going to post for you all so you can get in contact and see how you can be a part of this incredible organization. Absolutely. All the information is listed in the show notes. So make sure that you reach out if you have time or if you're looking for a monetary donation or looking to volunteer. All that information is listed in the show notes. I mean, Emilio's experience from a governance standpoint uh, to Ashley's experience on developing these advocates coming through and then the tie to UTSA with the work that Samantha is doing from the college docket supervisor and mm-hmm. showing these kids that there's opportunity beyond what they've experienced in their whole life up to this point. Yeah. Right. And that, you know, their support of really uh, the main focus of trying to reunite families versus just trying to move stuff around, but also making sense in advocating for these kids and navigating a system that can be number one, confusing and may not be sometimes in the best interest of the child. So amazing work that all three of you are doing. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, again, all the information is listed in the show notes. So make sure you check that out if you have have the ability to do so. Again, sports season, fall yeah. semester, uh, full swing. We talked a little bit about football. What about the tail, the record setting away tailgate <laughs> right. in yeah. Houston? Yeah, University of Houston. We had over 500 people come up for the Roadrunner tailgate there in Houston. It's a record crowd. And we got to thank Gilman Subaru uh, for the support and sponsorship of that. And the overwhelming support of the alumni that showed up in support of the Roadrunners and then just the ability for everyone to get together and mingle. Mm, The uh, triangle travels. Yes, absolutely. And the number of alumni that are in Houston as well. So it was cool to kind of see the social media posts on that. Yeah, shout out to our Houston chapter, man. They really do do a lot to promote uh, what's going on here associated with the university. So we appreciate that. Absolutely. And this Friday, so today, we UTSA runners take on Army mm-hmm. at the Alamo Dome. It is a 6 p.m. kickoff. The uh, The Roadrunner tailgate will be open at 3 p.m. Yep. So go out there and check that out. Again, it's free for all to attend. Uh, make sure you go and say hello and get connected there. And then reminder that there is an away game watch party for the Tennessee game. Uh, this is on September 23rd at 3 p.m. And this is going to be at Alamo Beer Company. Yep. So if you're looking for a place to go, meet up with the Alumni Association and get out there and support the team. Uh, women's Golf opened their 2023 fall season this Monday and Tuesday at the Sam Golden Invitational at Oakmont Country Club. And UTSA is entering its sixth season under two-time Conference Coach of the Year, Summer Batiste. And this tournament will mark the first event for the program as a member of the American Athletic Conference. The Roadrunners returned six veterans from last year's team that registered five top 10 finishes, including a third place showing at the Conference USA Championship. Men's golf is also underway with UTSA senior David Harrison uh, was in a tie for fourth place and the UTSA men's team in 10th place through two rounds at the Valero Texas Collegiate, which continued on Sunday at TPC San Antonio Oaks course. And Harrison fired a three under par 69 to move into contention with the individual title and coveted exemption into the 2024 Valero Texas Open, the PGA Tours annual stop 
on this same course each April. Uh, women's soccer season is obviously on. The UTSA soccer team turned in a commanding second half performance last Sunday at the Lumberjacks chopping block, trouncing Stephen F. Austin to deliver the first road victory of the 2023 season with a 3-0 win. And Roadrunners will spend the next two contests on the road away from Park West for another 11 days. It's a crucial week for the Roadrunners who are looking to start their inaugural American Athletic Conference slate with a win, heading to Tulsa next Thursday for the league opener. Closing out the week, UTSA will get its second chance at a victory over a Big 12 foe heading to Waco to take on the Baylor Bears on Sunday night. But check out GoUTSA.com for a full schedule for the women's soccer team, well, really all sports, uh, including golf and everything else. So you can get your tickets, get your times, get everything going, uh, really get out there and support those roadrunners. Uh, Roadrunner Volleyball kickstarted the 2023 season with a trio of victories at the UTSA Invitational last weekend, and they'll be back at the Convo this week hosting the Roadrunner Classic with matchups against Lamar, Delaware, and Tarleton State. So again, here we are leading into football season, and news of a, an extremely generous donation of $2 million to the football program by local philanthropist Harvey Najum, uh, with $1 million earmarked for this year, and then another million dollars for next year, which is uh, to be used at the discretion of Coach Trailer. Uh, so he can really focus those funds to where he needs it. Mm-hmm. Really kind of, I, I would assume, probably looking at assistant coaches and in, in ways to help the recruiting standpoint on that front. So the Texas State game, obviously, we got the win 20 to 13. But in my opinion, even bigger news, second largest crowd at a UTSA game in the Alamo Dome. Yeah. 49,342 fans packed the dome. That's incredible. It was really loud. So much energy. It was fun. Yes. It, it was just really cool to see that. It was fun to see everybody in person again. I feel like every year. Uh, we, this is like reunion day. <laughs> yeah. Well, for us, because we didn't go to the Houston game, but right. for, for being back at home in the dome. Yeah. Everyone was so excited. And uh, what an incredible win. And they unveiled the uh, conference championship yes. banner yeah. in 2022. And, and the, the cover came all the way off. Everything time, came down. So. It was all <laughs> it was successful. Good. And the Let's Go 2 and 0 flag that goes over the student oh, section. The student section, student oh, section was huge. And shout out to our amazing Sosa band and their new uniforms. They have <laughs> blue pants. It looks great. I told Ron Ellis, good job. They look awesome. So, but hey, you know what? I didn't know this. Those band uniforms cost $250,000 to what? replace. Yes. Oh my goodness. And let me tell you this other thing. They should be replaced every six years. This is the first new set they've ever gotten. Since the inaugural season? 13 years. Wow. So, yeah. I think our Sosa, Sosa needs some love, for sure. Yeah. Well, they, they always kill it on Giving Day. They uh, do. But they, they do. They but can always use extra support. Yes. Yep. And they, they do such a great job, too. I mean, uh, I, every every season, especially the first home game, I always get really excited to see not only the band come in for the first time, but to see what the new intro is. Yes, yes. And uh, so we all had our, our phones up recording that, but uh, a totally incredible game. Uh, you know, we we hope that our team is getting healed up. It is a short week playing against a, a tough Army team. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, that game is today with a kickoff at 6 p.m. Tailgate for the UTSA alumni will be at the Hopkins lot starting at 3 p.m. So make sure you check that out. And this is an orange out game. 
And I know that the word got out. Yeah. Word got out of the last game that I was a blue out. I don't know if the word was sent out appropriately, but just so you know, this game is an orange out game. Wear your orange gear and go out there and support your roadrunners. If you can't make it to the Alamo Dome, the game will also be shown on ESPN, Mm -hmm. which is uh, the benefit of it being a Friday game. (laughs) Uh, The home game alumni association tailgate versus army again, 3 PM. Enjoy food, drinks, and family friendly activities, carnival style, which means entry into the tailgate is free for everyone. Coupons will be available for purchase for enjoying food and drinks from various vendors, including La Gloria and our famous alumni grill team. We also have special appearances from the Spirit of San Antonio and Rowdy the Roadrunner and UTSA Cheer will also be in attendance. So make sure you get out there and uh, do your thing. I have the link in the show notes also to if you want to pre-purchase your coupons before you get to the tailgate, uh, that link is in the show notes as well. But thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for downloading it there's anything you can do to help us make sure you subscribe and or leave that five-star rating review as it helps us more than you know we come out with new episodes every other friday at 6 a.m and we'll catch you on the next one birds up birds up